Happy Sabbath, everybody. Uh, the, uh, and I apologize, Steve, I didn't send you the title ahead of time, but this message is entitled Walk in the Light. And we're going to study this this topic. I know there's a lot of things in the Bible. We cannot possibly talk about everything that relates to walk in the light. Uh, but And we don't even know uh, how far we're going to go today. Uh, there's a lot of scriptures and there's a lot of things in the Word of God about the light and about walking in the light in particular. But we're going to start by going to 1 John in chapter 1. We're going to go to 1 John 1, and we're going to read a few verses as background, and then we're going to get into the scriptures that we want to study today in particular about the light, about walking in the light. Uh, we're going to first study a little bit about the light and, uh, and who is the light. And, uh, and, and all of what the scripture says, maybe not all, but a lot of what the scripture says about the light and who is the light and all of that. And then uh, we're going to talk about uh, what we have been called to. And then we're going to talk about walking in the light. So we, I don't know if we're going to get to that part in this message, but, but we'll study together and we'll see how far we can go. But this is a fascinating topic, the light. And, and we're going to study it together. I think you're, you're going to to find it amazing what some of the things that are in the Word of God that because it, it, it's just it's it's just outstand outstanding what what God has in there it's amazing and and to to really know and understand in depth and take a little bit deeper dive into this topic of light and and then walking in the light but we first have to understand the light uh, as it is uh, outlined in the scripture so let's go to First John one and verse one. Like I said, we're going to re read this few, uh, first few verses as backdrop. So we're not, I know there's a lot here. We're not going to stop in all of these uh, things, but it's, it's, it's the, the introduction and the background to what we're going to talk. But it says in verse 1, That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our own eyes. And remember, this is the, the Apostle John, and he's writing uh, about Jesus Christ, he's, he's, he's talking about the Word of God. He's talking about the Son of God. And he's basically talking about him that was from the beginning. And then he's testifying that he walked with him. He's, not only him, but all the disciples, like that they observe him, that they walk with him, and, that, and, and, and all of these things. He says that we have seen with our own eyes that which we observe for ourselves and our own hands handle concerning the Word of life. And this is talking, like I said, obviously about Jesus Christ and the, who is the Word and, and everything that they did, not only him, but the rest of, uh, of, the, uh, of the apostles and what they did, what they saw him do, what they, see, what they heard him say, and, what, and, and they, they touched him. They walked with him. They were with him. They were his friends as well, and they were walking with him. But it's amazing what they were able to see, especially John had a special understanding. And, and he, it says that he was a disciple whom Jesus loved. And there's a special reason for that because he, he had that, that deeper understanding. And then in verse 2, in parentheses, he says, And the life was manifested, and we have seen, and are bearing witness, and are reporting to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested to us. And this is amazing because this, this was very clearly saying that Jesus Christ was with the Father. And he is eternal life. Jesus Christ himself said, I am the, the life. I am the resurrection. And he was with the Father. And it's amazing when we put the scriptures together. Because in John 17, he also, uh, he also prayed to the Father. And, and told him that that was eternal life. That we would know him. And that we would know Jesus Christ when he had sent. And it says that, that, that the, the eternal life was with the Father and was manifested to us. And then we're going to get to the other verses. But it says here in verse 3, That which we have seen and have heard and we are reporting to you in order that you also may have fellowship with us. And this is amazing because what he's saying here is we, we saw him. We touched him, we walked with him, we heard him, we saw him do all these miracles. We know he is the Son of God. Nobody can do the things that he did, 
And we know where he came from. He was with the Father before he came. He was manifested to us. And what we have seen and we have heard, the purpose of all of these things that, that, that we're writing is so that you also may have fellowship with us, with all the disciples, with all the apostles, with all the believers. And, and, and then, but, but then he specifies how is that fellowship to, be, to, to take place. He says, for the fellowship indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his own Son, Jesus Christ. So he first explains who, who is the one that they walk with, that taught him, that was the Lamb of God, that was all of these things. And then he's going to explain more about it, and we'll get to that. But it's important to set the stage here because what he's saying is we walk with him. We, we heard them. We saw him do all these miracles. We, we saw him, uh, you know, be with the Father and be guided by the Father and be our example. And the reason that we are writing all these things to you so that you may believe, that you may have fellowship with us, because the fellowship is not just a fellowship with one another. The reason that we have fellowship is because we know the Father, we know Jesus Christ, and that's what it is. That's a true fellowship when we're studying, when we're digging into his word, when we're studying together. When we come together, is, is the same word, the same Lord, and the same spirit that guides us all. So we are not to seek unity for unity's sake or just to be with the brethren. The, we are to seek God the Father and his own son, Jesus Christ. And in that unity, that's really the true fellowship that we can have with one another so that we can truly walk together. And, and it's not because, you know, the, 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 the counterfeit of that is, well, let's just let's just be united. Let's not talk about these things. Let's not. You know, uh, let, let's just all agree and be nice to one another. But that's a fake unity. That's not the real unity that God wants. God wants the fellowship with him, with, with God the Father and with Jesus Christ. That's exactly what he wants. And that what he, that's what John was writing here. That's what he was declaring. That our fellowship is with the Father and his own son, Jesus Christ, and obviously with one another because we're all fellowshipping with them. So we're going to come to the same point where we're all fellowshipping together. But again, like I said, this is your only backdrop. And then he says in verse 4, these things we're also writing to you, to you so that your joy may be completely full. Because when we stop and understand and analyze it, it is that unity in the Father and Christ that binds us together stronger than any other bond. And then when we study the things that we're going to study today and see the things that we are going to be able to, to, to reflect on today, it's going to be amazing. It's 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 a joy that is that that, that is complete, that is full, that and, and and we're going to get to that because this is and it says in verse five, this is the message that we heard from him and are declaring to you. So this is so he 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 already set the stage of everything that that God the Father and Jesus Christ are and why we're together and the, and the purpose of it to have that joy. But then he says. This is the message that we heard from him and are declaring to you that God is light. And there is no darkness at all in him. And this is where I want for us to focus on today and, and, and stop and think about that God is light. And there is no darkness at all in him. There isn't any darkness in him. And when, when he says God is light, obviously is both the Father and Jesus Christ. But he was talking about specifically Jesus Christ because that's what he's talking about. The one that was from the beginning concerning the word of life. And God is light and there is no darkness in him. And we're going to study what does he mean, This the what he just said. What does he mean that God is light? Is it is it only that uh, that that his appearance is bright as the sun? Is, is that all that it means? Or is there more that meets the eye here for uh, how is God light and how does that affect us? How does that impact us and involve us? And we're going to see even even more than that, even even broader than that. But let's go to John. Let's go to Gospel of John, chapter one. Because in and uh, in, in, in the first, you know, uh, 18 verses of 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 John one are amazing. There, they, There's so much there. We're not going to cover them all, and we're not going to cover everything in here in depth. There's, there's many, many sermons and series that have been given and can be given about this topic, but it, it, is, it is something amazing. Uh, some of the things that, that, 
it states here. But it's really what he's, it, it's almost like this goes together with First John 1 and John 1 because he talks a lot about the same things. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He's talking about the Word and the Word of life. And, and we're going to read what he, what he meant or a little bit of what he meant when he said God is light. It says in John 1, 1, and this is a memory scripture for, for everybody, I'm sure. But it says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And obviously, it's talking about Jesus Christ. It's talking about the, uh, the God Almighty, the eternal God of the Old Testament who came as Jesus Christ. And because he was the word, he was the beginning, and everything was made through him. It says here in verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. And he's establishing in the beginning, in the very beginning, in the beginning of whatever we can, you know, as far as we can go back, <laughs> he was always in the beginning with God. And there's other scriptures that prove that he, he, did, he was not a created being. He has always existed. Both the word and God the Father have always existed. They, have, they are both eternal. And then he gives us more details in verse 3. All things came into being through him. And not even one thing that was created came into being without him. Everything came from the will of the Father through Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. And nothing, nothing that was done was come, come into being without him, without the word, without the one who became Jesus Christ. And in verse 4, it says something amazing. It says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light, the life was the light of men, meaning he has life. And that's, and that's really, you know, what, what it means. That, that's, he says that he is the life. That, that, is, that is himself. Life was within himself. Nobody gave him life. He has always existed. Jesus Christ, not as Jesus Christ, but as the eternal God in the Old Testament, but he is the one that has both him and the Father, the Most High, they have both always existed. That's why it says in him was life, intrinsic life. Nobody gave it to him. And the life was the light of man. And that's what we read in 1 John 1, that God is light. So how was, how was uh, he the light of man? We're going to go to First uh, John, uh, no, here in John, sorry. We're going to continue here in John, but we're going to go to chapter 8. We're going to read a couple of scriptures where, that, that add a little bit more to this, where he declares who he is and, and, and what he is. And, and, and this testimony just solidifies that God is light. And Jesus Christ it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. And he declared it himself. This In John 8, and verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me shall never work, walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So it's interesting because it says that the life was the light of man. And here it says that there's a light of life. That's what he says. He is the light of the world, and the one who follows him shall never work in the, walk in darkness. Why? Because he is a light, shining bright. And, 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 and this also implies that we're following him, so he is guiding us, and we're, we're following him because he is the light. So, so, he, can, so he can clarify the, the way ahead. That's what, that's what it is. That's what he means. And he says that shall never walk in darkness if we're following him. If we're not following him, we're, uh, we might walk in darkness. But that's not, that's not what he wants. That's why it says that shall have the light of life. Let's go to one chapter ahead in John 9, where he says, uh, where he also declares what he is. And, and this is a little different. But it connects with everything that we're talking about, about the light. In verse 5, it says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And it's amazing because when we think about it, it's like, no, God is light. So it's not, it, 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 it includes this. He's just emphasizing the aspect is not only that only when he's in the world, he's always light. But when he is in the world, because he came in the flesh, 
they, he said, I am the light of the world. He, he, was to, he was bringing light to the world. That's what he means. Because he is light. And he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That doesn't mean that he's not light. When, you know, once he departed, once he went back to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. That's not what he means. But he was emphasizing that he is, that he is here. In fact, if we read, you know, if we read verse 4, it gives clarity. It says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. When the night comes, no one is able to work. And he was talking about, he was talking about when he's in this world, when he's in this world, he, was, he, he has to do the works. He had to do the works of God the Father while it is still day, while he still had physical life to shine the light of God to everybody. Because that's what he came to proclaim the, the kingdom of God and, and, and to do all the works that the Father gave him to do. But he says, when the night comes, no one is able to work. So when we have, when we have life, that's when we are to work and do these works. And he said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So he clarifies that he is the light. Let's go to Matthew 17. Because this is, this is uh, not just in a figurative sense. This is in, the, in a literal sense. In Matthew 17, in verse 1, this is the account of the transfiguration. And let's read it so that we know that this is not just poetic. This is not just uh, an, an allegory or, no, this is, this is real. This is that God is light. This is a prime example. And probably, I surmise that, that this is the reason why John, in, 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 in his epistle, First John, that's what he said, God is light, because he had seen this. In not only the physical sense, obviously he knew, he heard him say. That's why it's almost like testifying is what we read, right? Like we heard him say these things. We saw him do these miracles. We, we, we see all these things. We, we, we were with him. We handled, you know, be, because it's what we heard. We just read the words, and John wrote them, right, that, that he was the light. But then John also was here, Matthew 17 and verse 1, because he saw that literally as well. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John. There he is. And brought them up into a high mountain by themselves, only these three. And then he says, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shined as the sun. And his garments became white as the light. And this is amazing because his garments became white as the light. Because the, so, so it, it encompasses everything. It's not only is the light of men, the light of the world. He is literally light. And John saw that light during that transfiguration. They never forgot it. Never. And that gave a meaning that not only did that prove what he was saying in First John, that he was, the, the, he was God and he came in the flesh and he was with the Father and all of these other things that we just read. But it's like, but he literally is light. When we read that and, and we saw what's the purpose is that we may have fellowship. What's another purpose is that our joy may be completely full. Because when we understand that God is light in all the strength, in all his power, it, it's it's amazing. It's it's absolutely glorious and joyous for us to know the God we serve, that the the God we serve is full of light, and 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 light is amazing. The power of light, the power of that bright white light, it it, it just it cleanses. It does so many things, and it's and it is amazing to know and understand that that's what God is, and and there's no darkness in Him at all, as we read. There is no darkness. He is full of light, full of righteousness. And, to, and, and another scripture that talks about this, let's go there. Let's go to Revelation 21, because this scripture also proves that God is light, literally light. That is also, uh, we know that God is spirit, but he is also light, because these scriptures unequivocally tell us that God is light. What we read that God is light. We, we are reading the testimony of John who saw them in the transfiguration in, in that glory, in that light, in his face shining. And let's go to Revelation 21 and verse 23 because this also confirms what we just read. Because this is the uh, part of, uh, of the nature of God and what he is. He is light in addition to being everything else that he is. But, it, it, but when we study what, what light does, and the, the, the importance of it, 
It's it's unbelievable. In verse Revelation 21 and verse 23, and we're talking about obviously the the New Jerusalem is 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 talking about all of that. And then uh, we can read in verse 22, I saw no temple in it in the New Jerusalem, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Which is amazing to think that there's no temple because God himself, God the Father and Jesus Christ, it, it, it describes him, Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. Both of them are the temple of it. But then reflect on verse 23, and the city has no need of the sun or of the moon that they should shine in it because the glory of God enlightens it and the light of, of it is it is the lamb that's the light of it is the lamb so Jesus Christ himself is the light of new Jerusalem let, let that sink in because that is the God we serve that is our Lord and Master that is our high priest that is in whose name we always come to the Father. The light. The light that enlightens everything. And this, is, and this is what he saw. This was a vision that John saw. He saw that there was no sun. It said, no, well, no need of the sun. He doesn't say that there's no sun. I'm sorry. But it says there's no need of the sun or, or of the moon. Because in Genesis, we, we know what it says, right? That God created the big, the big light. For the day and the smaller light for the night to rule the, during the day and to rule during the night but there's no need in the new jerusalem why because the light of it is the lamb and and i just speculate you know i don't have my bell but you know if i had one i would ring it right now and say well the reason is that there's no need for sun or moon is because this light is so bright that those are completely irrelevant the, the light of the sun and the light of the moon are nothing in comparison to the light of the Lamb. That's what it is. And that's why it's like that, that there's no need for them. Because the glory, and this is the glory of God. This is the glory of God enlightens it. And the light is the Lamb. So Jesus Christ is light. And God the Father is light. Both are, both are light. And that, is, and that is amazing. That is something to, to really... To really think about let's go back to John 1 where we were John 1 to continue reading what what, what he says here because there's a lot of mentions a lot of uh, mentions of the light and it's it's important that we that we read read these things and, and study them together because there's so much in here to meditate to think upon and to to take to heart when we pray and and, and as we read and study and as we cry out to God whom we're really crying out to, to the light, to the pure light, the true light. There's no darkness in him at all. And let's see what else he says about the, the life. In verse 4, it says the life was the light of men. In verse 5, in, in John 1, it says, And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not comprehend it. And we just read why. He said, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But the darkness does not comprehend it. The darkness does not comprehend the light because they're mutually exclusive. If there's light, it cannot be darkness. But the darkness does not comprehend the light. If we, if we have a veil, if we do not have understanding, if we're not drawing close to God, if we don't acknowledge God, we're going to have a veil. And then we're not going to comprehend it. We're going to see we're going to see some of these things that the apostle Paul talked about it, right? Talked about that how these things are are craziness, they're, they're madness to some, right? That that there's a resurrection from the dead, that there's a God, that we have a purpose, that we have you know that there's a wonderful plan. All of these things, the darkness does not comprehend it. Like when you try to talk to somebody and you try to explain some of these things, and in your mind are crystal clear, right? God has revealed them to you. He has given you His Spirit when you were baptized, when you had hands laid, laid upon you. You understand it. You see it. You see it so so clear, because you're coming to the light, and, and God is enlightening you. He's letting you see with that light. You're not in darkness, but you explain to somebody, and it's like it, it just completely. It, it doesn't compute. It really doesn't compute. It, it, it they cannot comprehend it. That's what it, that's what it means. But the darkness does not comprehend it. And then it, and then continuing on in, in verse six, there was a man sent by God whose name was John. 
He came for a witness that he might testify concerning the light. He continues. So in this in this most important section of scripture, where the place who Jesus Christ was and what he did and who he is, he continues to come back to light. He might testify concerning the light, concerning Jesus Christ, concerning the Son of God, the Lamb of God, so that through him all might believe. So that through the light, through the Messiah, through the Savior, that all might believe. Because everybody who is to believe is going to have to believe unto salvation, unto eternal life, is going to have to believe in Jesus Christ. That's why every knee shall bow at his name. But what it says is that John the Baptist was testifying concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. That's what it means. And then he clarifies it in verse 8. He was not the light, speaking of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was not the light. He's clarifying. There's, here's the Apostle John. Here's John the Baptist. But Jesus Christ is the light. So he's testifying. John the Baptist was testifying about the one who was to come, about Jesus Christ. He, he came to announce the Messiah. And then he said he was not the light. Don't confuse him. And, and, and John the Baptist himself acknowledged that. The one that comes after me is greater than me. He was just announcing him. But he came that he might testify concerning the light. Because witnesses are very important to God. And he came. And, and, John, and John was one of his witnesses. He would he come to testify. That's what a witness does. A witness comes and testifies concerning the light. So again, how many times has he already called him that he is the light? It's, it's in verse 4, light was the light of men. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness. Again, you know, verse 7. Testify concerning the light in verse 8. Testify concerning the light again. And then we're going to come to verse 9, which is amazing when we really think about what this means. Verse 9, it says, The true light was that which enlightens everyone who comes into the world. And we know that the Bible is true. That the Bible is true. And, and yes, the darkness does not comprehend it is what we're talking about in the in the spiritual sense, in the understanding sense. But also here, how is it that the true light was that which enlightens everyone? And it's almost like when we see all, right? And Fred always says, like, circle all. Well, circle everyone. Everyone who comes into the world. How is this? There's there's something amazing. That, um, that, that, ha that that happens at the moment of conception. Something amazing. And, and in 2016, there was the first time that the, the scientists captured the, that flash of light, the sparks, at the moment of conception. In fact, there's an article in Science Alert that says scientists, and this is from 2016, scientists just captured the flash of light that sparks when a sperm meets an egg. That's what happens. That's what happens. And it says, uh, I'm just, I'm just going to quote a couple of sections from this article. You can search it out on your own, science alert. And what is that flash of light that sparks at the moment of conception? And the scientists say, well, this article says, for the first time ever, scientists have captured images of the flash of light that sparks at the very moment that a human sperm makes contact with an egg. And it's unbelievable. It's unreal. The article goes on to explain what, what is it that, that, that causes that spark. But we know that, that, that there's electricity there. We know that, that, that there's light in there and it shines. The, uh, another, another little excerpt from this article says, uh, using a new fluorescent sensor that's able to track the movements of zinc in live cells, the team caught a glimpse of an egg's zinc storage capabilities and found some 8,000 zinc compartments, each one containing around 1 million zinc atoms. So just, just stop and meditate on, on the greatness of God in the physical level, just in the, in the, in the creation. 8,000 zinc compartments, 8,000 zinc compartments in the egg. It's a, a, amazing. And each one of those 8,000 containing around 1 million atoms of zinc. It's unbelievable, like the level of detail and the level of power and how God created it and how he had to make that happen. 
and then those million zinc atoms is just like this each one containing around one million zinc atoms just ripe for exploding the tiny fireworks quote unquote that result were found to last for about two hours after fertilization let that sink in one million zinc atom in each one of 8,000 zinc compartments in the egg. And when it's fertilized, there's this explosion, these fireworks, and they see that. You can look it up online. Um, and I'm not going to put it up because of copyright and other things, but you can look it up online. You can see that light, and you can see that egg, how it, like, it, it flashes light. And he says you can see those for two hours after fertilization, at the moment of conception. And it's something amazing. And that's how that the true light, that's how it enlightens everyone, everyone who comes into the world. Because this electricity, this that's what happens at the moment of conception. For everybody, for everybody that is that is conceived, that is a potential son or, or daughter of God forever. Because that is the true potential of all human beings. We know and understand that not everybody's called at this time. We know and understand that many are called, few are chosen. We know all of that. But as far as the light enlightening everyone who comes into the world, it's amazing that not until 2016, scientists have been able to see that, that it's a true thing. It's a light, and it comes from God because God created that, and he created and ordained all of that in his laws, and God is light. And that is, that is absolutely amazing. And, and, and the apostles understood this. Let's go to Acts, Acts 17, you know where I'm going, Acts 17, because they, understand, they understood the, the magnificence of God. They understood how great is our God and all the things that he created. They, and, and, and it's just something, something to meditate and to think about. How is, is it that God is light? And he enlightens everyone who comes into the world. Everyone. Not just the called out ones. He gives life to everybody. And it's it's amazing. And in Acts 17, and you know that the, 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 this was in, in Greece. That's where Paul was. And, and in verse, we're going to start in uh, verse, verse 20, 26. Because he's explaining, right, the unknown God. We know this passage by memory. He's it's explaining to them, right, the philosophers and the, and the great thinkers. And he's saying to the unknown God, he's the one that I'm, that I'm preaching to you. And, and when he goes in to explain that, then he's explaining, he's, he gets into some of these things and explaining how it, it, it really affects everybody, everybody that comes into the world. Because that's what he says in verse 26. He said, he's talking about the God, this unknown God. It says, and he made of one blood all the nations of men to dwell upon the face of the earth, having determined beforehand their appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling. So he, everything had been planned. The, it, it, really what was going to happen in the creation and the land and everything that he was going to give to them. And, that, and when he made them all of one blood, he, he knew what he was doing. He had a plan. And then, and then verse 27 is the purpose. Why did he create them? Why did he make them all of one blood, Adam and Eve? Why? He says, in order that they might seek the Lord. That's the purpose. That's the purpose of our existence, that we might seek the Lord it says, perhaps they might feel after him and might find him, though truly he's not far from each one of us. And we know because, because it's, it's, it's something incredible when we're honest with ourselves and we think through how did we come to be? How was it that one day we were already here and we had this body and we had this personality and we had this mind and the ability to think? It's like he, you know... He's not far from each one of us. And they knew that. They were philosophers. They knew that there was a higher power. That's why they had so many gods. Now they were confused. But Paul was trying to teach them who it is, who it is that gives light, that enlightens everyone that comes into the world. And then he explains it in an amazing way in verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. And then he, he tries to relate to them as some of the poets among you have also have said for we have for we are his offspring literally and that's what we are 
That's literally what we are. In him, we move, we live and move and have our being. And that's so profound. That's so profound because that applies to everyone, everyone in the world. And it's just, and we are his offspring. We literally are his offspring. That if you, we're not going to turn there, but if you go to Luke, Luke 3 in the genealogy of, 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 of Jesus, and, and what does it say at the very end? It goes, it goes backwards, right? It goes back from, um, it goes back from, from the, uh, Joseph is the genealogy of Joseph. But then he goes back all the way to the very beginning. And, you know, in verse, in verse 20, 38 is like the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam. And he says the son of God because God created Adam and he was the son of God. And that's why these poets say we are his offspring in him will live and move and have our being. That's what he's saying. That's what he's explaining. He enlightens everyone that comes into the world in this spark of these flashes of light. He imparts that life. That's why he said that he is life. And he was the light of man. That's why. Because it's not only in the spiritual sense, it's, it's in the literal physical sense as well. And we know the spiritual is greater than the physical. But it's amazing to just ponder what God has done in the physical sense. And just to think about the God we serve and how he made it. And how we live and move and how we're being in him. Because we have these laws written within us. Right? And, and, and Fred has explained this, and in the latest church at home, he explains it very clearly, right? When who is under law, and he goes and explains it. There's a law of the heart, you know, a law of uh, our bodies, you know, blood pressure and, and sugar levels and all kinds of things. There, there's laws that if we stay within those laws, we're going to, to be healthy. And if we're not within those laws, then we can't function. We're going to be, be this, you know, we're going to have disease or we might die because those are all spiritual laws that God designed. So that's why in him we live and move and have our being because we are, our bodies are actually obeying the laws that God created for us to function. In fact, you know, I was listening to a top scientist, a top doctor, you know, that has done a lot of research. And, and, and it's amazing what this doctor was saying. She, she, was, she was talking about uh, how, uh, more, and more and more doctors are, are doing this. They're realizing this after, you know, being, being indoctrinated about evolution and all of these other things. But this doctor specifically started to say, it's like, we have to think about it. Think about it because we did not make ourselves. You know, obviously we have a source, you know, and we better be connected to that source. That's that. That's what this doctor particularly said. And, 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 he, and, and it's amazing because it's true. We know it. We know that we were made by God. We know that there's a purpose. We know that he is that source. We know that he is a greater power. Many of the doctors they call higher power. And we know that there's a universe and we know that there's a God and all or, or, or they call him a higher source sometimes for you know, being politically correct, but we know who that is. And that's what we're studying here, that God is light and how he enlightens everyone that comes into the world. And he's just, and, and she also said, we're not just flesh. She said, and this is, this is science. She said, we're electromagnetic. We have a heart that works with magnetism. You know, that, 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 that's what it is. And it's that spark. At the moment of conception, that's one of the first things that develops in the womb of the mother is the tiny heart. And that's some of the first things that, that you know, that we prove that as a new being uh, being formed in the, in the womb of a mother, that you can hear the heartbeat. And it's, and it's fascinating because it's the light of God. And it's just, and, and, and this doctor is saying, we're not just flesh, we're electromagnetic, we have a heart. And it's like, you know, and it's connected to our brain and there's electrical impulses. This is all, this is all science. This is, this is all fact. But it's amazing to see all that science and all those things. But through what God says, through his word, because his word is the truth. All of this other stuff is just men like, you know, finding some things about who we are and studying the body. But it is amazing because that's how God enlightens, uh, gives light to everyone who comes into the world. Let's go to Proverbs 29. This is just one more scripture that, that talks about this. Proverbs 29, talking about, uh, talking about light and talking about Jesus Christ himself being the light and how he enlightens uh, everyone that comes into the world and how he is the light of the world. And he said in Proverbs 29, 13, it says the poor and the deceitful men meet together. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. So who is the one that gives light? It's God himself. 
without him, we don't have life. We do not have life within ourselves. The, the life that we have, even the physical life, came from God. Every single one of us. Everyone that is in the world. Everybody. And it's just amazing to see and to read this in the scriptures because he's not talking about the convertible one. It's not. It says the poor and the deceitful man. It's not talking about that. It's talking about everybody. It's making that contrast that these two, the poor and the deceitful, kind of putting them in two, two opposite ends of the spectrum, right? They meet together. Why? Because the Lord gives light to the eyes of both. And, they, and this is where it moves. You know, we, we move a little bit, but that's, that's really what it's talking about, giving the light to the eyes, enlightening the eyes. And that's, you know, that, that's, that's the main part of our body that absorbs the light, the eyes. And God gives the, the light to the eyes of both. And this just proves what we've been talking about of who is the light and what he does. But to study these, these verses in detail, it's absolutely fascinating to see how the scientists more and more, they're realizing that, that you know, there is a spiritual component to our existence. And it is. Obviously, we know that. And we know even more than that because it's, it's, we know that there is a spirit in man and is different than the spirit of the beast as it says in ecclesiastes right the spirit the spirit of man goes back to god who gave it the spirit of the beast goes down to the earth from where it came but there's there's more than meets the eye there's so much more we know that there's a spiritual component and it's just uh, our joy can be full in these things it can be full and that's what god wants that that joy may be full in knowing who our creator is that he is light that he loves us, that he gave his life for us, because that's what he came for. Let's come back to, to John 1. We're going to keep reading a couple more verses here in John 1, because it is this is where then it, we're making the transition now. We, we have talked about the physical, but, uh, but now we're going to talk about the, 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 the spiritual aspect of things, because then it transitions. He's talking about... He's talking about who God is and the God is light. And, he's, and it applies to both, obviously, uh, in the physical sense and in the spiritual sense. But now the verses that continue after verse 9, which is talking about everyone who comes into the world. Then he explains now the spiritual aspect of that in verse 10 in First John. Uh, sorry, in John, Gospel of John 1 and verse 10. He says, he was in the world and the world. The, the, everything, the, the entire world came into being through him, but the world did not know him. It's making that transition. He's talking about the physical. He's talking about, you know, enlightening everyone who comes into the world. The world was made by him. It came into being through him. You know, the, God the Father and Jesus Christ made everything that there is, but everything that the Father made, made him through, through him, through Jesus Christ, through the word. But the world did not know him. They did not know him, and we read the Old Testament. That's exactly what happened. The world at large did not know him. Very few people actually got to know him. Even the even the people of Israel, they they still wanted a mediator. They still wanted Moses to talk with him. They didn't really want to come close to him and to know him. And uh, but it's amazing that that the world did not know him. That's the truth. And then in verse eleven it says he he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And obviously, we we know that we, this can, can be referring to to the Jews, the tribe of Judah. He was from the tribe of Judah, and his own did not receive him. The Jews did not receive him. But how about this other way that it also applies? Because he enlightens he enlightens everyone who comes into the world, and he made of one blood all flesh, all all men. He made he made of one blood every person that is. So we are all his in that sense, in physical creation sense. And in that sense, he also came to his own. He came to the world. He came in the flesh. And his own did not receive him. The world at large also did not receive him. It wasn't only the Jews. The world at large did not receive him. They did not receive him. They still don't receive him. The, 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 the majority. And that's what happens. So this, this has a dual application or there's a couple of ways of looking at this scripture in verse 11 not only his own in that sense of his tribe or where he who he was from his descendants but but uh, well not his descendants but his his lineage where he came from the tribe of judah 
but also his own is everyone because he enlightens everyone that comes into the world. But his own did not receive him. And that's what's still happening. Now, we know that some of that was by design. He actually glorified God the Father for that, for hiding the things from the powerful and the mighty and revealing them to babes. But he still, he still called uh, people that were not, uh, were, were not of, of, of Judah or not of Israel altogether. But uh, that's why that's what he's talking about here in verse 12. But as many as received him of his own, as many as received him, to them he gave authority to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And, there's a, and, and this is where it starts to make the transition of receiving him, receiving the light, and then believing in him, believing in his name. And what is and, and starts to open up what's the purpose of why we're here all together to become the children of God and to become the children of God now in the begotten sense and to become the children of God later at the resurrection in the born sense. But that's what it is. He gave them authority to become the children of God, give him power, uh, authority, permission to become these things. And then he's explaining, really, we, we read the physical part in what, what Paul was explaining to the Athenians, right? That how he made everyone from, from one blood. But then he clarifies here. Now, John is talking now about the, our ultimate destiny and what God really desired and meant and planned from the very beginning. Who were not begotten by bloodlines. He says, made them all, all one blood. That's what Paul clearly says. But then he says, those who believe in his name, those who become the children of God, are not begotten by bloodlines. Very clear. It's not begotten by bloodlines. Nor by the will of the flesh. It's not because you, you, you willingly made yourself you know, understand or made yourself become the children of God. No, it's not the will of the flesh. It's really nothing of our doing. There's nothing we have not received. It says, nor by the will of man. It's not by it's not by carnal means. It's not by our own desires. It says, but by the will of God, because only God can open someone's eyes and enlighten them with the truth. Just as God enlightens everyone in the physical sense at conception, He can enlighten those whom He will. That's why it's all subject to His will. That's why it's not by the will of the flesh, nor by the will of men. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do to have that veil removed, to be able to see. It all comes from God. It's the will of God. Those who are called according to his purpose, because his purpose is superior. His purpose is the reason. He's, he reigns supreme. He is the light. That's why sometimes we cannot understand how there's some people in the world that you know, they behave better than many of us in the, in, in the church because, because and, and we don't understand why are they not called. It's like this person is better than I am in basically every single aspect, but is not the will of the flesh, is not the will of man. It has to be the will of God. And, all, and we know, obviously, 1 Corinthians 1, 26, we know that he called the weak and base things. We know all of that, but to understand it, how the light enlightens those whom he will and by his will. And to do this, let's go to now John, John 12, here in the Gospel of John, because it talks about it talks about belief. Now this is a matter of God opening the eyes of someone by his will. And then the responsibility also of the person to respond and then to act according to that and to believe. Let's, let's go to uh, John, John 12. And go to verse 35. John 12, 35. And this is, uh, well, you know, if we back up a little bit to verse 34, it says, The people answer him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ lives forever. And why do you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Maybe basically saying, we, we heard of the Messiah was to come and he was going to live forever and reign forever. So why are you talking about this? But being lifted up, they understood what that meant. You know, why do why who is who is this son of man? Who are you that you're saying all these things that that must die, right? And you knew crucifixion. Why? Like this is this doesn't check with what we read. And then Jesus said to them in verse 35, Yet a little while the light is with you. 
because he was in the flesh and he was here. And, it's, and, and then he gives them the instruction, walk while you have the light so that the darkness will not overtake you. For the one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. And this is the instruction to walk while you have the light. And then we're going to read later, maybe not today, but we're going to read later in First John that is talking about walking in the light. And what does that mean? But this is the beginning of that. Walk while you have the light. Because what he was saying is, I am the light of the world. He declared that. He said that. He said, and I'm here in the world. And while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So walk, follow me while you have the light. Meaning, I'm going to enlighten you. I'm going to show you these things if you follow me, if you believe in me. That's what he says in verse 36. While you have the light, believe in the light. Believe in the light so that you may become the children of light. Don't just rely on the Old Testament scriptures because that is important. But without the light of Jesus Christ, without the light revealing and unlocking all the meaning that was written in there, you cannot understand. Without the New Testament, you cannot understand the Old. Without this light, you cannot understand everything that, that, that was spoken. You cannot comprehend how, you know, how the Christ lives forever, but also understand that he must die. You cannot understand that, but you have to believe in the light and walk in the light. Follow him, basically, so that you would be enlightened. And then he says that he spoke these things and departed from them and was in hiding. But basically, he was, he was testifying on who he was. But then he says, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light so the darkness will not overtake you. Because you, the moment we depart from God, the moment we depart from the light, then, then darkness starts to overtake us. It does to all of us as well. Not just because we've been called and we've received the Holy Spirit, which is a phenomenal thing, a marvelous thing. That doesn't guarantee, that doesn't mean that we will not go astray a little bit for periods of time in some things. But God is merciful. He brings us back because he's a good shepherd. He brings us back to him who is the light so that we have that understanding. How many times do you go through a trial and you do not understand why until it has happened? And then you look back and it's like, now I know why that happened. Now I learned the lesson that you were trying to teach me. Now we see our uh, our our hard-heartedness and our stiff neck that we do have when but not until we've gone until God pulls us out of that trial not before not during many times it's not until after that we see that but that's because God is a good shepherd and we've made a covenant with him so we are we we have made that covenant and in that covenant we said I pledge my life at baptism I pledge my life that I'm going to follow you wherever you go now the realization is that we are not always following him perfectly because we're still human, because we still do err, because we're still learning, because we still have things that have to be perfected in us. All of us have that, and we make mistakes, and we do sin. We, we, we'll talk about more about that because that has a lot to walking walking in the light. But it is amazing what he says, the one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going, meaning if you willingly turn away from the light, if you willingly don't want to listen to what the, the word of God says, if you don't hear the words of Jesus Christ and the things that he said, you're going to be in darkness. And eventually, maybe not immediately, but eventually that darkness will overtake you. That's what it says. So it says, or will overtake you. And the one who walks in darkness, once you are so far from the light, it says you do not know where you're going. And we can see that clearly in the world. What is the meaning of life? Nobody knows. Why are we here? Nobody knows. Here's these doctors that see all these amazing wonders of God, and, 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 and they can understand certain things up to a level and saying, yeah, we are created beings. We did not make ourselves. Everybody has to be honest with themselves and say, I did not choose to come. I did not choose to be born. And then when you analyze and get into these wonderful things, it's, it's, it's incredible. But that's what we have been called to. We have been called, let's go to 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2, because it's amazing how the, the word of God connects and all of the, what the light is, it's, it's amazing. That's what he was saying. That's what he was instructing people to do. Then he departed from them. It's almost as if a test, you know, we'll, we'll see who's going to follow me because we know that his disciples did, did follow him and they were with him since, since they were called to come and follow him. But this is what we've been calling 1 Peter 2 in verse 9. You know, this, this also is a, a memory scripture. But he's talking about us. He's talking about our purpose. He's talking about why 
why, why we were called, but you are a chosen stock, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for a possession of God, which is what he intended with physical Israel. That's what he wanted them to be. He wanted them to be a nation of kings and priests. That's what he wanted them to be, a nation of priests, so that they would proclaim the goodness of God and they would be a light into the all of the world. That's exactly what he wanted to be. Uh, them to be. In Deuteronomy, talks about all these statutes, all these judgments, and a God who is near them as, as, as it is to them. That's what they were to be. And now, he is now focused on this the called out ones in spirit and in truth. And that's what he's talking about. The a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for a possession of God. And in Deuteronomy 32, it says, you know, that he was going to move Israel to jealousy with the people who are not a people. And that's all of us. We were not a people by blood. Again, not by bloodline, but it's, it is by the will of God. And this is the will of God, that we become this holy nation, a people for the possession of God, that we might, you might proclaim his excellent virtues and understand everything that he's doing in the physical sense, in the spiritual sense. And he says, who called you out of darkness, because we were all in darkness, into his marvelous light. It's amazing that he called us into his marvelous light. And we know, we know that this is a spiritual thing, that this is a spiritual operation. And it's amazing. This is this, Verse 10 is where he's basically fulfilling what I was talking about, Deuteronomy 32. And in the, in the song that he gave to Moses as a witness for Israel, it says in verse 10, who once, you, who, the, the, you are a chosen stock, you who once were not a people, those are the ones. It says, but now are the people of God. And it's not replacement uh, theology. This is not what I'm talking about. He did not, re it's not replacing physical Israel in that sense. We're not taking their place. That's not what it means. This is a different operation to do it in the spiritual sense, to be in the millennium as kings and priests. It's a different thing. They were to be a light in the flesh, in the world. We are to be a light now. But yes, our purpose as kings and priests, we're not kings and priests yet. We will be in the millennium. That's what it is. So it's not replacement theology. Let's be clear about that. But it says that we were not a people, and he will move them to jealousy to bring them back. Yes, he will bring physical Israel back as well And at, at the end. That's what the Bible says. It's very clear about that. But he says, but now are the people of God, all of us who have been called according to his purpose, not by the will of men. It says that who had not received mercy, but now have received mercy. And how have we received mercy? We have received mercy by the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is the light, who came to be our example and to die for us and to be that perfect sacrifice and to be, become our high priest. And, and, it's, and it's amazing that we are that royal priesthood, but after him and after we have uh, been qualified into his kingdom. Let's go to the last scripture for today. Let's go to Colossians. Colossians 1 and verse 12, because this is what we've been called to. We've been called to the light, and we are to walk in the light. And we haven't gotten into those details of what that means or what, or what is the significance of walking in the light now for us, but at least it's setting the stage of everything that God is in terms of light, physically and now spiritually as well. And verse 12, Colossians 1 and verse 12, it says, giving thanks to the Father, who has made us qualified for the share of the inheritance of the saints in the light. That's what we are to be doing, giving thanks to the Father, because he has made us qualified for that share of the inheritance of the saints, all of us who have been called according to his will, according to his purpose, not by anything we've done, and not to glory ourselves. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 1, it says that he is basically called the, the weak and base things to bring to nothing the things that are, not so that those nothing exalt themselves. That's not the purpose. That's not, maybe we've heard it in the churches of God, but that's not the purpose. It's not to exalt ourselves. But the opposite, that no flesh will glory in his presence. But he has made us qualified for the share of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And think about it. How does that connect with Revelation? We are our inheritance of the saints in the light, in Jesus Christ himself the Lamb, who is the light of New Jerusalem. And God the Father 
It says God Almighty and the Lamb are the light. So both of them, there's no temple. They are both the temple and they are both the light. And that's our inheritance to be with them forever. It's an amazing thing when we think about who the light is. That's our inheritance of the saints in the light. Verse 13, who has personally rescued us from the power of darkness. He has. We were in darkness. We did not know anything better. We were not called. When we were not called, we were in darkness. And he rescued us. He pulled us out and has transferred us onto the kingdom of the son of his love. Talking about light and talking about the son of his love that are one and the same. Because as we read, God is light. And that's the, that's the brilliance of, of his glory. That's why is, is no man can look upon God in all his glory and live. Because that light is so powerful. So powerful that we would die. There's so much, so much energy and so, so much light that we would not be able to stand in his presence. Because it's all powerful. And it's amazing. But this is what he has done for us. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love so that we would walk in the light.